Well, over the last month, we've been looking at turning our wounds that come through those growing pains of life, turning them into uh, scars of healing, which become stars of strength in our life. And we've looked at various trials that all of us will face from time to time. I know that I'm uh, speaking to people that realise and recognise that even though this Christian life is the best life that there could possibly be, there are going to be trials along the way. There are going to be storms. There are going to be things that we have to face in this sinful world that we live in. So we've looked at a number of the different trials uh, that we will face. We've looked at the trial of identity and unfair comparison and rejection and priority and timing. And all of those messages that we've done, there's another three messages in this series. They're all available on podcast. If, if uh, you want to look those up on our uh, Capital Edge Facebook page or our website, they're all available for you there. But today I want to address this final trial that all of us will face from time to time, and it is the trial of trust. The trial of trust. You know that there is a difference between faith and trust. People actually use those words synonymously. They use them interchangeably. Trial, uh, sorry, faith and trust, but they're not exactly the same thing. So I want to explain to you the difference this morning so that you understand what we're going to be talking about. We're talking about the trial of trust as opposed to the trial of faith. Faith is the belief that God is who He says He is and will do what He says He will do. That's faith. Whereas trust is this, trust is the willful choice to rely on the integrity of God to do what He has promised. Okay, so faith is believing that God is who He says He is and will do what He says He can do, and trust is the willful choice to rely on the integrity of God to do what He has promised. They are slightly different, obviously interconnected, but different. The Bible defines faith and trust quite differently. If you look at the Bible definitions of faith, say for instance in Hebrews 11.1, 1, that says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. The word faith there is defined with these words, conviction, persuasion, assurance, reliance and belief. Whereas if we look at the word trust, for instance, let's take Proverbs 3.5, one of our favourite scriptures that we all love to quote. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, nor your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. When we look at that word trust, it actually means confidence, surety, boldness, security. So they mean different things. So, so to boil it all down, what is the difference between faith and trust? Faith is the conviction that God can and trust is the confidence that God will. Faith is the conviction that God can and trust is the confidence that God will. Do you know that we can have faith without trust? We can have faith without trust. I think of a passage in the Bible, a story in Mark chapter 9. 
a man brings his uh, son to Jesus. This son is demon-possessed and keeps throwing himself into a, a fire. And, and this man comes to Jesus and asks Jesus for healing. And he says these interesting words to Jesus. He says, do something if you can. To which Jesus reply, uh, replies, what do you mean if I can? Do something if you can. And this is how the guy responds. This is how the father in the story responds. He says, very interesting words. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. At first, it appears such an incredible contradiction. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. What is this guy actually saying there? This is what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, I actually have the faith that you can do this, but help me trust that you will do this. I found myself there from time to time. I'm sure if you think about it, you found yourself there from time to time. I have no problem, and I believe that most of the people in this building today, you have no problem believing that God can. God, we, we sang all about it this morning. God can. He is able. He is more than able. He is the miracle worker. He can do that which is impossible. God can. I don't think too many of us have a problem with God can. But the battle we have is believing whether God will. See, the issue is not so much an issue of faith, but it's an issue of trust. So let me tell you my trial of trust story this morning. As you know, over this period of time, I've been sharing personal stories about all these different trials to try and bring them into a place of relevance and reality to your world. My trial of trust story starts when I first became a minister, a full-time minister in church, pastor. And the reason I became a, 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 a pastor of a church, the, the way it all happened was that I had to take over the worship team of a very large church. And so my first role was as a worship pastor and worship leader and I had to take over that role because the team was wounded and despondent, this worship team. They were uh, going through all sorts of things because the leader, the previous leader of that worship team had had a moral fall with someone in it. So it was a tough situation to step into and I had to step into that team and I had to love those people and you know that previous pastor of that team had been written off by a lot of people. There had been people that had even left the church because of what had happened. There were many people in the church and in the worship team who were angry and were full of hostility towards this pastor for what had happened. You know, I've discovered over the years that God forgives, but people struggle to. And so Edie and I, we decided what we would do we decided that even though this guy had hurt the church and had hurt the worship team, had hurt lots of people, we would reach out to him and his family. He got a job outside in the secular workforce. He got a job which required him to go to various businesses around 
the city and it just so happened that at the time we were living north whereas everyone else was pretty much living in the south of the city. So we encouraged him that every time he was out north, he would come into our place, we'd give him a meal, we'd have a chat, we'd have a coffee, we'd reach out to him and we would let him know that our place was always open for him. And so he would come regularly and he would visit regularly and he and his wife became very close friends of ours and over a period of two years... We saw him and his wife and other people involved, we saw them go through this process of incredible, very real repentance for what had happened. It was a a remarkable thing to see in his life. And there came a day about two and a half years later when myself and the other pastors on the executive team of that church, we all felt in God that it was right to reinstate this pastor back onto the team. Uh, For those of you that (laughs) don't know much about it, that is a a miracle of God's grace, to be reinstated to the same team, a miracle of God's grace. It was so wonderful to see how God worked in that whole situation and so we brought him back on as the worship leader and I stepped aside into uh, some other portfolios and areas of the church that needed some development and everything was going well. Everything was so fantastic. People were getting saved. The worship was going to a great level. But then I noticed something. This this guy who I had stuck with through thick and thin just started to do some things that undermined what I was doing. Just started to do things that made it a little bit difficult in the areas that I was leading to get ahead. It was like he was putting obstacles to make things difficult for me. And then he brought in other leaders to his circle of leadership and he started speaking some derogatory things about me. And me being me, I went to address him on that. And But every time I talked to him about that, it was always a denial. No, John, it wasn't like that. No, they misunderstood. No, that didn't happen the way you think it did. And all that sort of stuff. Now, I don't know why he ended up treating me that way. Perhaps it may have been because I'd taken on his position when he had messed up and fallen away and there might have been some resentment there because of that. I I really don't know. But what I do know is that this guy who I had reached out to with love and acceptance and grace when others had cast him aside ended up stabbing me in the back. And what happened through a numerous a bunch of events with this particular person, situations that unfolded within the church, uh, many of them instigated by this guy, my trust in leadership just eroded away. My trust in leadership eroded away. I found it difficult to just trust anyone in leadership. God's speaking to me now and, and, and he's saying that, there's, there's someone in, in the church today, there's someone who is facing a very similar situation in your workplace. And the good news is that God today is wanting to restore to you a level of trust so that you can move beyond it and find healing in the situation. You see, when trust is eroded away, there's nasty wounds that come with it. 
resentment, anger, bitterness, paranoia. You, you start to think everyone's out to get you. You're sus- suspicious of people's motives. Your confidence dries up. You start to question everything. The walls go up. You don't want to be vulnerable. You become guarded. You close off many relationships. Even things like workaholism and perfectionism. You know, at the root of some of those things is a trust that has been eroded. You feel that people are judging you by what you do, so you've got to do it better. Defensive. You become defensive. You become critical of others. The irony is this, is that a lack of trust actually becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in your life because you become someone that can't be trusted. The thing that wounded you is the thing that you become. It's like an infection that takes over in your life. I said it earlier on, Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do and He will show you which path to take. I mean, we love this scripture, don't we? It talks about God revealing His purpose for our lives, that if we seek after Him with all of our heart, He will bring it all to pass. It's a wonderful, wonderful Scripture and promise. We buy the bookmark, we get the fridge magnet, we frame it on Pinterest and we send it to our friends. But you see, there's there's one word there that requires a decision from us to live a certain way in spite of the circumstances we face, and that word is trust. It's not just a cutesy saying. It's choosing to actually apply an action, the lifestyle that is associated with faith. You know, many people carry the wounds of broken trust that need healing. And so I want to deal this morning with just this question, how do we restore trust? What's the pathway of wholeness? I know that there's people here today that have been wounded in the area of trust through a relationship. People who have let you down and perhaps you've even got to that place where you felt that God has let you down. But we need our trust to be restored. And so I want to encourage you today, just through a number of keys, a number of ways, a number of things that we can do and be involved in to help restore trust once again in our life. The first one is this, how do I restore trust? I choose to trust God's character when I don't understand the why of the situation. I choose to trust God's character when I don't understand the why of the situation. In the book of Job, for any of you who have read the story of Job, he was a guy that had so much wealth and prosperity. He had everything a man could possibly want. There came a time when he was tested by the enemy and he lost everything. 
Lost absolutely everything. And yet in Job chapter 15, verse 13, we read these incredible words by Job. He says, though he slay me, talking about God, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But you know, the verse doesn't finish there. The verse goes on and says this, I will maintain my ways before him. What's he saying there? He's saying this, I don't know why, God. I can't see the reason why this has happened. I do not understand the why of my situation, but I will trust with an active, real, daily trust in spite of. See, we need to come to that place where we will trust in spite of. It's sad to say that many people I know have turned their back on God because the question why wasn't answered. Or if it was answered, it wasn't answered the way they wanted it to be answered. Why? Why? You know, if you know the answer to every why in your circumstance, then God's no bigger than your intellect. We will never know the answer to every why. We will never know the answer to every why. God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. But you know, there's one thing that I do know, that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose for them, Romans 8, 28. In spite of not understanding the why, in spite, of, in spite of not having the answer to why, I know that through it all, God's character is perfect and He will work His purpose in and through the situation. Behind the why is a God who is working all things together for good. His plan may not be your plan. He may not have asked your permission to do His will or to allow something or to permit something to happen. But He who knows the beginning from the end has and will perfect His purpose. We may never know this side of eternity, why? Why did that happen, God? Why did that breakdown occur? Why did that friend not survive that illness? Why, God? I just don't understand why. We may not know this side of eternity, the reason why. But we can know our God in whom we can put our trust. You know, I've got a feeling that by the time we reach eternity... We're bowing down before our Lord and Saviour. Those questions of why may not seem as important as they do now. Perhaps there's people today, perhaps you need to pray a little prayer like this. Lord, I may not understand why, but nevertheless, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. It's going to be a tough prayer, perhaps, for some of you to pray. But it's a prayer, I believe, that can bring breakthrough and release in your situation. Amen? The second way to restore trust is this. Examine your own thoughts, attitudes, and motives. Examine your own 
thoughts, attitudes, and motives. You know, Psalm 139, I read the psalm a couple of weeks ago, one of my favourite psalms of David. But some of you might have noticed I actually skipped a passage, I actually skipped a few verses towards the end of that psalm. Because David is talking about, God, you're so wonderful, you know every part of our being. If I'm at the highest mountain, you're there from the lowest valley, you're there, you know everything about me. You saw me and created me in the womb before I was born. You uniquely, it's wonderful, God, you're wonderful. And yet we get down to the end of the psalm and it's like David's praying or praising this song and we get down towards the end of the psalm, it's like he gets sidetracked. Have you ever, ever been praying like that and you get sidetracked? Lord, you're wonderful. Lord, your mercies are, are, are good. Your love is... Lord, I just love you. I wonder whether Edie's put the roast on, whether she's got those little potatoes with the crackling on. Am I the only one that does that? And it's like David gets sidetracked in this psalm. And so in the middle of this wonderful psalm, talking about the love of God, he starts thinking about his enemies. He starts thinking about all those who are against him. And he starts talking like this. He he says in the psalm, Lord, destroy my enemies. Get out of my life, you evildoers. Lord, I have a right to hate them, don't I? Because they must hate you too. And he starts talking like this in the middle of this psalm. It seems so out of place. And then, then he silences his spirit again. He says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Know my thoughts. You see, when my trust had been eroded by the situation I talked about earlier on, I just wanted to vent out at the injustice of it. I wanted God to blitz my enemy. If vengeance is yours, Lord, then do it. Squash him like a bug in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to bless my enemy with the fivefold ministry. And I'd get sidetracked when I was praying because this thing had gotten into me. When, when I was uh, praying, I'd, I'd get sidetracked and start thinking about all these things that this person had done to me. And, and then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said this, he said, look at yourself first, buddy. Oh, wow. At least I'm still the Lord's buddy. (laughs) Look at yourself first. You see, when we deal with our own shortcomings... Rather than casting judgment on others, when we examine our wrong thoughts and our words and our actions rather than justifying them, we actually put ourselves in a place where our heart can be soft and pliable to what God wants to do in us. You see, we focus too much on what others do to us rather than what God wants to do through us. Perhaps some of you today need to pray a little prayer like this. Lord, rather than focusing on those who have wronged me, help me deal with my own stuff first so that my heart remains soft 
and pliable. Amen. The third thing is this, how do we restore trust? We ask for the fruit of the Spirit to be outworked in our life. We ask for the fruit of the Spirit to be outworked in our life. Galatians 5, 23 I know many of you know the passage well, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. You know why they call it the fruit of the Spirit? Because it's His fruit. It's His fruit. I know that may seem like a, a, a minor point for you to understand, but so often we try to produce our own fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, it is His fruit. I don't care how many times you'll sit under a pyramid, cross your legs in meditation and hum kumbaya, it ain't gonna do it. It may bring some calm for a moment or two, but it won't deal with the issue. We try to create our own fruit. I need more peace, so I'm gonna run a hot bath and read the National Geographic before I get out. That's, that's John's peace. I need more gentleness. I need more gentleness, so I'm going to hug my dash hound. That's, that's John's gentleness. I need more self-control, so I'm not going to drive at peak hour, especially near the Lanyon Thompson Drive where they put those new traffic lights and slow everything down. I'm not going to do that. That's John's self-control. Oh, well, lack of self-control. We've all got stuff to work on. We try to create our own fruit. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural enabling and empowering by the Spirit for you to live over and above the natural. Often the Bible says... We have not because we ask not. So let's ask for the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit, for His fruit to be made available to us. Perhaps you need to pray a prayer like this this morning. Holy Spirit, I'm anxious or I might be angry or I might be sad in this situation. I need your supernatural peace or self-control or joy that surpasses natural understanding. I pray for your peace. I pray for your joy. I pray for your self-control. Holy Spirit, nothing I can do but your fruit in my life, I pray. One thing I do know is that He is faithful. And He is faithful to Grant that which we request. Isaiah 61.3 says this, He gives beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He gives. We need to ask for the fruit of the spirit to be outworked in our life. Here's the fourth thing. I know this is hitting hard for some people this morning. But this one's 
the big one. If we want to see trust restored in our life, this one's the big one. I'd rather not use this one, I'd rather keep it a little bit lighter, but this really is the big issue. If we want trust to be restored in our life, we need to forgive. We need to forgive. You see, if you don't forgive, trust will never be restored. The wound will constantly open up under pressure and you'll find yourself going through all the hurt and the pain over and over and over again. In fact, this is what happens. The person that did you wrong did something this particular way and it looked like this particular thing and another person comes along and what they do or what they say has some minor similarities to what this person did to you that brought about the wound. So you judge this person by that person. You put it all in the same basket. Forgiveness is pardoning an offender. It's giving up your claim of emotional compensation. Forgiveness has to happen so that trust can be earned. I'm not saying that you immediately trust that particular person that did you wrong because I believe trust has to be earned. But trust can never be earned unless forgiveness has taken place in your heart. Forgiveness allows for trust of others to be earned and your trust in others to be restored. The New Testament word for forgiveness literally means this, to let go. To let go of those things. You know, when my colleague stabbed me in the back all those years ago, I had to come to a place of forgiveness I could tell that I hadn't come to a place of forgiveness because he would constantly come up in my thoughts and I'd get angry. I'd start to feel resentment. But there came a day when I chose to forgive. And one of the ways I knew that I had dealt with that was when I was invited to another church to do a weekend seminar on worship. And I actually invited this guy to come along and share beside me. Because I recognize and realize it wasn't, I wasn't going to allow that situation to permanently erode my trust. I was going to deal with it. You know, there's a big chasm between, Lord, help me forgive and I choose to forgive. There's a big chasm between, Lord, I, I want to forgive and I choose to forgive. Perhaps for some of you this morning, perhaps you need to stop praying, Lord, I want to forgive. Lord, help me forgive. And perhaps you need to go to that place where you pray, Lord, I choose to forgive. Lord, I choose 
to forgive. Perhaps this could be the kind of prayer you need this morning. Lord, I forgive. And as I choose to do so, I know that trust will be restored in my life by your healing power. I choose to forgive. Final point this morning. Musicians, please come. How do we restore trust? You press on into God's purpose for you. You press on into God's purpose for you. Your future doesn't need to be a victim of your past. Did you hear that? Your future does not need to be a victim of your past. There may be some scars, there may be some signs of healing, but there can be a a, a pathway of wholeness in your situation. A star can come out of that. The fact is, in spite of wounds, God has a wonderful future for each of us. You just need to be willing to go through that process of God's healing, His pathway of wholeness. And as you do that, you go from a scar to a star. 